0: Are talking about just before Jesus comes. Just before Jesus comes. This is our last week in this series. Uh, we'll be moving forward towards thinking about Easter next week. But uh, we've talked about the amazing increase in signs of the end uh, uh, throughout these uh, different weeks, and especially last week. Be sure to listen. How many of you got to hear last week's message? Wasn't that powerful? and you learned about something called the Third Temple and some other things there, I encourage you to go back and listen to it and and discover again how signs keep pointing towards Jesus coming. Well, today, though, we need to just make sure we remember a few things. Starting with, remember, no one knows the day or the hour. No one actually knows that day. In fact, Daniel did not know that. He didn't know, Daniel 12, 9. Paul did not know. He made reference really to Christ, who himself, Jesus, did not know. All three of these did not give us a date or a time. By the way, if somebody tells you they know more than Jesus, be a little bit suspicious. All right? And yet, though we know that they did not know, history is still filled with false predictions. Look at this, Christopher Columbus. He said it was going to be in 1656. 1656. He had said there are about 155 years left, at which time the whole world will come to an end. Guess he missed it. Martin Luther, he himself said he didn't think the world would exist 300 years past his time. That would be around 1846, and that has passed. Edgar Casey, the great prophet right there, 1877 to 18, 1945, is the psychic who founded the ARE out at the Virginia Beach. There's a whole building there. He predicted the second coming of Jesus Christ in 2000. Didn't happen. And then the Mayan calendar, some of you may have heard of this, abruptly ended on December 21st, 2012. But our time on earth did not end on that day. So over and over we have these predictions. There's still going to be predictions, but we know, one person knows exactly the day or the hour. We can trust him. Robert Jeffress, who wrote a book called Perfect Ending, Why Your Eternal Future Matters Today, I highly recommend it, had this to say about these false dates. He wrote, make no mistake about it, the end is coming, but God has not told us when and for good reason, just as every teacher knows how unproductive and unfocused students are the week before school lets out. How many teachers understand that? Right before we, well, actually before Christmas break, before spring break, the kids stop thinking. They just want to just not do anything for the whole week. God knows how tempted we would be to neglect the responsibilities he has entrusted to us if we knew the date of the end of the world or the end of our life here on earth. Look at this last sentence. That is why God refuses to show us his calendar and instead instructs us to focus on our assignments. That's that important? We need to get the focus in the right place. So that really brings us to the key question for the day, which is the title of our message today, How Should We Then Live? If things are getting closer, how should we then live? By the way, that's inspired by another amazing book entitled that same one by Francis Schaeffer. I encourage you to look that up. But now, as we think about that, let's consider, first of all, three natural reactions. If we know that the end is near... And Jesus will soon be here. There's sometimes natural reactions. The first one is this, complacency. Complacency. Basically, I'm good to go. I'm fine. Everything is fine. I'm a good person. I'm really not sure what the big deal is. In fact, I'm really not even sure if Jesus is coming anyway. Complacency. On the opposite spectrum, we have another natural reaction. It's cocooning, putting our head in the sand. This person says the world is literally falling apart. I can't even process all of this. I'm just going to hide out and hold out, cocooning. Another natural reaction is this, clubhouse, clubhouse, us four and no more, us four and no more. This person says, I'm glad Jesus is coming back, so I'll just hang out with my Christian brothers and sisters, the world really isn't interested in what we have to say anyway, so why should I be interested in them? Why should I care about them? So we've got these natural reactions, complacency, cocooning, clubhouse. Let's find out what Jesus has to say. But before we do that, let's go back into God's word and get the context. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles, how many of you have your Bibles today? Could you hold that up? There you go. However it is, great. I want to encourage you. They're great on the phone. It's great to get a real one too. Pastor Matt mentioned that last week, remember? And I love that scene in the Jesus Revolution, if you've seen the uh, movie, and, and the Chuck Smith asks everyone to hold up their Bibles. So the people that were as regulars, half of them had a Bible, and every single one of the hippies raised a Bible up. It was really neat. By the way, if you need a Bible, talk to me afterwards. I have a bunch in my office. I'll give you one today. So let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. You're going to find there a a parallel passage to what we've been doing in Matthew. I'm choosing this one because Mark brings out a couple things that will be helpful for us today. So it says in verse 1, Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple... Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? So we have here a reminder, first of all, that Jesus made a prediction, and it has come to pass to the nth degree. He said that the city of Jerusalem would be torn up, that the temple would be taken down to the very stones. And it happened exactly as he said it did. You know what? If Jesus said it and it happened, then we can believe everything else he said in this whole address will come to pass. That's a review for us. But notice something else that's unique here in Mark's account. It says that he spoke to just four of the disciples privately. Peter, James, John, and Andrew these as we understand were the inner circle of his disciples his four closest friends as it were there and that's an important detail we're going to talk about in just a moment but now would you turn in your bibles to Matthew chapter 24 where we've been Matthew chapter 24 and look at verse 51 2451 now if you're there i need somebody to tell me what comes next after 2451 anybody can tell me it's not 2452. Good try. What comes next? Right. Chapter 25, verse 1. I'm, I want you to really pay attention right now. This is a very profound thing I'm going to tell you. I want you to all to be dialed in. This may be the most amazing thing you've ever heard. Notice that chapter 25 comes right after chapter 24. And that profound? Yeah, I know. No, I, I thought you'd be amazed by that. Now, I want to ask a little further. What color is the ink in verse 51? Yeah, if you have a red letter Bible, okay. What color is it in 25-1? Jesus is still talking. We put in the chapters, but this continues the thought. And what I want you to understand from this is that Jesus is finishing his teaching. And what he's doing is he's going to tell these four disciples three stories or parables. Now, I want you to understand something about this parables are the way that Jesus taught. And many times he used a parable to not fully tell the whole story. He would speak to the whole multitudes, and it says he actually used parables to hide a few things and save those for his disciples. But here, who is he speaking to? Only four disciples. Peter, James, John, and and Andrew. There's no reason for him to keep it secret. He wants to, though, use these stories to get the point across. And we have the privilege today of being brought into those four disciples and listening to Jesus directly and finding out what he has to say. So I want you to understand here, the parables of chapter 25 are a direct Conclusion of chapter 24. They're connected. The reason I'm saying this is you know these parables, but I want you to see that this was Jesus' answer as to what we need to do in response to his soon coming. Here's the big idea today Jesus knew our natural reactions, and so he prepared us through story for three supernatural responses. Three supernatural responses. Now, we're going to go through these stories. But I want you, you can follow along, but I want you really just to listen as if you were listening behind Peter, James, John, and Andrew and hearing these stories for the first time. Here's the first story, verse 1 of chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, which obviously had to be 7-Eleven, that was the only thing that was open at that point, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the uh, wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, "'Lord, Lord, open to us.' But he answered and said, "'Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. "'Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour "'in which the Son of Man is coming.'" I want you to see a few things in this passage. First of all, we see that five of the virgins were ready and five were not. It says five were wise, five were foolish. We also see in here that it says the bridegroom was delayed. Do you see that Jesus put into this passage a hint that was saying, listen, I'm going to be delayed. You may think it's right away, but it's going to be a while. And it has been. He put that into the story. But then we see his response, and this is really important. I put this up here on the screen for you. In verse 11, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now notice, we would think the response was, You're late. You're too late. But really the response was, I don't even know who you are. This reminds me of another passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. See how that was a a repeat? In Matthew 25, the virgin said, Lord, Lord. Going on, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is a strong word. This, back in Matthew 7, Jesus is saying, there are some of you who are even healing in my name. You're casting out devils, but I don't even know you. You see, the issue was relationship. Say that with me. Relationship. It wasn't simply being ready or on time. It's do you know the Lord and does he Know you. Now, that, I know he knows all of us, but does he know you in that relationship interaction? So, this leads us to the first supernatural response. Here it is. Keep your spiritual relationship fresh. Would you say that with me? Keep your spiritual relationship fresh. When we are anticipating Jesus coming back, number one, keep your personal relationship fresh with him. Keep the main thing, the main thing. This is about Jesus. Yes, it's about temples, and it's about uh, other signs, and it's about all these, but the bottom line is, it's about us and him. You see, there are those who have all the charts and all the tables. They think they have the end times all figured out, but they don't even know the Lord. What is it with us? See, yesterday's oil will not last for today. Yesterday's oil will not last for today. Uh, Something that I like to make uh, pretty much every weekday is a fresh smoothie, Anybody else do that? So I make up a smoothie of all kinds of different ingredients and all, and generally healthy as it goes along. So I have a smoothie, and sometimes I make too much. So then I pour some of it off into some other cups because now our children don't eat all our smoothies anymore. But my wife and I, we're faithful to our smoothies. But anyway, I'll put it up in the fridge, and if I come home that night and I have a smoothie, it's okay. It's a little bit off. It's not quite like that fresh one. But if I don't get to it and I try to have it in the morning the next day, It's not good. There's something about a smoothie. It needs to be fresh. Can I tell you, whatever you got from God yesterday, you need something fresh today. You don't even need just a one-time meal a week by coming on church to church. It's great you're here, but you need something every single day. Keep your relationship fresh. How many of you have ever heard somebody said, I'm good today. I ate yesterday. I'm good. Did anybody decide you're not going to eat today? Well, maybe you're fasting. But beyond that, generally, we've had breakfast pretty much every day, don't we? we? We eat something every day because we can't make it physically. Can I tell you, you can't make it spiritually without feeding every day. Have a fresh meal. You're not good with yesterday's oil. And so I want to encourage you, don't be complacent. Don't say, I'm good. We need him every day. And as the end draws near, we need him more. Let your relationship draw on him. Be one of those wise virgins that has brought in the fresh oil and keeps it flowing in your life. That's what Jesus was trying to say. Well, listen to story number two. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents, went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled his accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five talents more, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent on the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have at least deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, let's process this a little bit. First of all, it says that he gave them each some talents, and all were given a tremendous amount. My English study version Bible uh, suggests that a talent, and this was several years ago, would have been worth about $600,000. One talent. How many of you would be okay with one talent? Yeah, I'd be okay with one talent. And then we have the person with two talents. That would have been essentially $1.2 million. And the five talents was $3 million. They were all, though, given a tremendous amount, even the one. Sometimes we get all bent out of shape that God seems to be blessing others more than us. Why does that person have so much talent? Why are they like that? What? And we get all bent out of shape. But you, can I tell you this? We are each wonderfully different with varying types and amounts of talent because God celebrates diversity. Diversity. He loves variety. He loves the fact that we all aren't the same. Look beside you. Let me know if you see anybody that looks just like you. Good. Sometimes we have twins, so then I'll be in trouble. But even in that place, how many of you are thankful that there's only one of you? How many spouses are thankful there's only one of them? Yeah, okay. little marriage encounter moment there. No, we can rejoice in that diversity, in that uh, level of sharing that happens because we're each different. And God wants it that way. We can be thankful for that. But not only that, um, in part of the story, we see that there was delay once again. It says, after a long time. Jesus, again, is telling us that he's going to be delayed. But this is really interesting Notice that the one with the five talents and the one with the two talents, they came. And if you study in your Bible, the exact same words were used for both of them. The first two servants received exactly the same response. You see, the issue was not the amount of talent, but what one did with what one received. It doesn't matter that you had two talents. What did you do with it? If you were faithful, you get the same response to the person with the five talents. You see in heaven, we think, oh, the five talents people will be here two ta- No, if you were faithful with what God gave you, he's giving you the exact same response, well done, good and faithful servant. Can you say thank you, Lord? Whatever that is, that's where it is. Now, the third servant though was not punished because he had only one talent, but because, listen, he refused to do anything with the one talent he did have. He refused to do anything. He said he was afraid, but what did the master call him? Lazy. He tried to blame the master when he himself was lazy and didn't want to do anything with it. You see, this story Jesus is telling because this is a time for faithfulness as much for faith. Can you see that? It's faithfulness. Say that with me. Faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. The first story was all about relationship. This one is all about faithfulness. And so this leads us to our next response. And here it is. Invest your talents for kingdom benefit. Say that with me. Invest your talents for kingdom benefit. Now, I want you to understand, we are not to put our head or our talents in the sand. We're not to hide them. Ephesians 5 15 through 16 says this see then that you walk carefully not as fools but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil can you say that word with me redeeming God is inviting us to redeem the time and our talents now how many of you like to go yard sailing or thrifting all my whole children love that right there why do we love to do those things Well, if you do, it's because you love finding a find. Finding something that you hardly paid for and yet it's full of value. We redeemed our money. We got a big bargain. And Paul is saying, and Jesus is saying, I want you to so invest that you get a bargain for your life. For the time that you invested, you got all this fruit back. Look for the bargain. Press in and go for it. In fact, We are not to cocoon, no cocooning, no hiding out, no putting our head in the sand. Now is the time, listen, to step out of the boat and trust God to multiply your efforts. Let him do the multiplying. You invest, you press in, and you see what God wants to do. Redeem the time. Those are the first two. Listen to the third story. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. In this last story, Jesus takes us to the end of time. And notice, everyone will be judged. Everyone will have their lives assessed. But notice something else. No one recognizes that Christ was noticing how they treated others. The ones who were doing it did not know Christ was watching. The ones who didn't, they didn't know Christ was watching. No one noticed. There's gonna be times when we are called to touch someone and we have no idea that Jesus is watching, that he's part of that moment. The key issue in this last one is, did we respond to people like we would have responded to Jesus? Did we respond, say that, respond. we respond to people like we would have responded to Jesus? We had here relationship. We had faithfulness. Now we have response. And this gives us our last response. Touch the least, the last, the lost, and the one right in front of you. Touch the least, the last, the lost, and the one right in front of you. You see, as the end draws near, the church should become more generous, not less. More reaching out. Over time, the church has been shown to be the ones who run toward disaster, not from it. Think about, actually, in the early church. When Romans uh, didn't want a baby, they didn't necessarily just not have an abortion. They just threw them out on the street. These little babies were cast off, and it was the Christians that went and picked up the babies and rescued them. In the time of the bubonic plague, it was the Christians that went out and touched the people that were sick, They didn't hide away. They pressed in. In disasters, in other places, we know it's the church that has gone forth. In fact, what is the name of the organization that reaches out? It's the Red Cross. Originally, it was part of the church and what they did. Always stay inclusive rather than Exclusive. Be including people. Don't be a clubhouse. Don't just say it's us four and no more until Jesus comes. Listen, I strongly believe that Jesus is not asking us to run to the wilderness and hide, but to step into the midst of our world, declare the gospel, and demonstrate his love for others. Can you say amen to that? That's who he's calling us to do. That's what he's calling us to be. Now, we're going to quickly review, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as I do this. I want to invite you to see again these three responses that God is calling us to. Number one, keep your spiritual relationship fresh. Number two, invest your talents for kingdom benefit. And lastly, touch the least, the last, the lost, and the one right in front of you. You know, as I think about this, and I prepare this last thought. It's interesting when you fly on a plane, you don't really know who you're going to end up next to, do you? And so sometimes, like uh, on my flight back last week when I was coming back from seeing my daughter, Ava, um, I sat and then they literally said, can you move because we need to balance the plane. It was basically an empty plane and we were all sitting in the very back. So I was blessed with an empty seat. So I knew that wasn't really an open door. The seat didn't need to get saved or anything, so we were good there. But uh, in my first flight out, the second flight, I was sitting next to someone who is a professor at a Catholic um, university. But he himself was raised in Pakistan and he said, you know... I really love up on my shelf, I've got the Quran, I've got the Bible, and I've got the Bhagavad Vida, the Hindu Bible. And I love the fact they all sit up next to each other and they're just at peace with one another. He says, well, now I know you're a pastor, so I bet you have some opinions about that. So I talked about, well, if you go into each one of those, you'll see that it claims that this is the true way. And the Bible itself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no one. Else. And he was intrigued by that. And I realized I had somebody next to me. Before I know it, he's handing me his card and says, I'd love to stay in touch. So I've already emailed him a couple chapters to read. We talked about He's very intelligent. He's a PhD specializing in nanoparticles. It was intense, but uh, he was interested in talking about God. And you know what? He's already written me back, said, when I get back from my next trip, I'm reading these things. Thank you so much. We need to be faithful to whoever's in front of us or beside us. Simply be Jesus to the people God brings to you. And keep stretching it out. So I want you to see something that Jesus said in the chapter 24 that I believe sets up chapter 25. Here it is. In verse 45, it says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give him food at the right time? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Would you say those two words with me? So doing. This perfectly encapsulates the three supernatural responses that Jesus has called us to. He wants us, this servant is showing he has a relationship with his master and that it's fresh and active. It's showing that he is faithful and it's showing that he is touching the people right in front of him. But the bottom line is when Jesus comes back, he's not looking for us to be up in a tree waiting for him. He's looking for us to be so doing the work of God for the people of God and the people of this world. Let me ask you this question. If today were the last day of your life or our last day as a church on earth, would he find you so doing? Bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you for each person that here is listening to my voice, whether it's here in this place or online. I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister right now As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to ask, are you ready if today were the last day of your life or the last day of our stay here on earth as a church? Are you in relationship with him? Would the Lord say, I know you are who you are, or would he say, I never knew you? I need to be honest with you. I shared part of this message many years ago, uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, and it got to Matthew seven and I was sharing that where Jesus said, I never even knew you. And I gave an altar call and uh, many responded and they were convicted and many uh, young people. And then that night, my oldest son said, dad, can I talk to you? Because when you said, Are you ready? Would the Lord say, I know you? Or would he say, I never knew you? My son said, Dad, that's me. I don't think he would know me. And he gave his life, not at the front altar in church, but in our home, said, God, I want you to know me. So who he is here today, who is here right now that would say, Pastor Brad, I'm not ready. I know I'm not ready. I'm not walking with him. And I know that the Lord would say, I don't know you. I'm not in relationship with you. Who would say, but today I would like to be there. I would like to receive him into my life. Would you raise your hand nice and high? I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Put your hands down. Father, I pray for those that have raised their hands. Thank you, Lord, that today is not a day of condemnation. This is a day of salvation. This is a day of relationship that is being started. So, Lord, I pray right now that you would do that for each person that raised their hand. I want you just to kind of pray along with me as I pray. Say, Lord, today I come to you. I'm not uh, ready. I know I'm not right. And I know I can't do anything in my own strength to change that. But I thank you, Lord, that you came. You died on a cross so that all of my sin, all of my failure might be washed away by the death of, your, of your, what you did on the cross and the blood that you shed. So Lord, forgive me, cleanse me. I invite you to come into my life. I ask you to be the Lord of my life and I will serve you the rest of the days of my life as you give me strength, in Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer, I invite you to rejoice in that. You have joined in relationship with him today, but I invite you to make it a daily walk but with heads still bowed and eyes so closed. Who might say, today the Lord has convicted me. I know the Lord, but I know that my walk has not been fresh. I know it's not been where it needs to be. Or maybe you're convicted that you've been hiding your talents. You've not been investing them. Or that you've not noticed the people God's put in front of you and say, God's convicted me. Pray for me that uh, I can change my ways. Is there anyone that say God's convicted me would raise their hand nice and high. Thank you, Lord. You put your hands down. Father, I pray that you work work in all of us and that you would help us all to be faithful to have relationship with you to be responsive to the people you give to us so I'm going to invite us in just a moment we're going to stand we're going to worship but I'm going